0: It's nice to see you today. Today we're talking about the purpose of Christmas. This is part two of our series on Christmas. And I want to talk about how we can enjoy what Christmas is really all about. There's a lot of things that we enjoy during this time of the year. I enjoy the decorations. I enjoy driving down the street and seeing all the lights. I enjoy the Christmas tree with all the presents around it. I enjoy all that type of stuff. But that's not what Christmas is really about. But I do enjoy all of that. In Luke chapter 2, verse 7, here's what Christmas is really about. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in the manger because there was no room for them in the inn. That's what Christmas is really about. And though I enjoy all those other festivities, you know, I really want to enjoy the Christmas story. I want to really enjoy what God offers me in Christmas. And it's going to be way more important than any present or anything like that that we could get. Jesus, when he was born, he was given the name Jesus, of course, which means the Lord saves. So in the name that he was given, we know why he came. He came to rescue us. He came to save us. Save us from our own sins so that we could be forgiven. There's other names that you find in the Bible talking about Jesus. In Isaiah 9, 6, it says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. How many times do we think of Jesus as that being his name? He's the Wonderful Counselor. Because when you read the Bible and it talks about the Counselor, it's usually talking about the Holy Spirit. Mighty God. When we think of Jesus, a lot of times we don't think of him as being Mighty God. We think of him as being God's Son. Eternal Father. And that passage is talking about that's Jesus' name. For a child will be born to us. We know who that is. A son will be given to us. We know it's a child, a son. And his name will be called Eternal Father. Prince of Peace. So in that you see Prince, of course, is a son of the king. So you see the whole trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's showing us that they're all one person. Even though we identify with them in three separate ways. I want to look at Mighty God and Eternal Father today. There's a lot in there that I believe relates to Christmas. There's four things God offers us on Christmas. And you know what? You can fill out in the blank. It says, See the power in the manger. He's the mighty God. He's mighty. That word means strength in battle, strength in the toughest circumstances that you're going through. That's a power that we are offered when Jesus comes a mighty power, mighty God. When I think of mighty power, I do not think of a baby in a manger. That's the last thing that would come to my mind when I'm thinking about a mighty power. And yet, that's what we have in the manger. He's often as power. When I think of power, I think of military force, maybe, maybe some sort of political power, but not a baby. And yet, the greatest power that ever came into this earth came as a baby, the complete opposite of what we would think. There's nothing that looks powerful when you look at a baby, but that was God coming. It was mighty God coming to earth as a man. Now, that's a new strength that this world has never experienced before, and God's come to help you to win your toughest battles. He's mighty. He can help you. He's more powerful than any other source that you can turn to. That little baby on Christmas is the most powerful being that you can rely on because it's God. Maybe there's some circumstance that you need God's power with right now. Maybe it's a temptation. Maybe there's a great opportunity for you, but you don't know how it's going to work out, and you need God's power to work it out. Well, you have to turn to that little baby. That little baby that was born at Christmas, that's where you're going to get the power. You can't trust in anything else. But the one place that you can trust is, if I turn to God, if I can turn to that little baby in a manger, there's enough power that He has that he can help me work out these situations, these battles that I'm facing, when sometimes there's no other hope that you have, but you know without a doubt you turn to the most powerful source when you turn to that baby that's born in the manger. A lot of times we see that story as a sentimental story, and we don't recognize that it's a story of power. It's a story of mighty God. Look at Ephesians 3.20. Ephesians 3.20. With God's power working in us, God can do much, much more than anything we could ask or imagine. I use this verse a lot. It's a powerful verse because I can ask for a lot of things. I can imagine big things. And he's saying that God's come to give me more power than I can imagine, that I can dream of. That's that baby that came on Christmas Day. This is why we celebrate Christmas. It's not just a baby was born. There are babies born every day. Why don't we just celebrate every day equally? It's because of its mighty God. It's the power that's in that baby and the power is available to us. God wants to give you power. The thing is, how do I get that power? How do I connect to God's power? I know with my cell phone, if I don't keep it charged every day, it loses its power. I need to stay charged every day. I need to have daily time with God. A lot of times we as believers, we don't have power in our life just because we don't have God in our life. We might be really saved. We might be really born again, but we don't have God in our life. It's not a daily part of our life. We don't spend time with Him. We don't stay connected to Him. And if you're like me, I can spend every morning with God and go through a difficult situation by 10 o'clock in the morning and forget about God. So it's more than even just that daily time. It's that moment-by-moment walk with God where you're talking to him all the time. I make it a habit to have a daily time with God, but still I have to walk with him moment-by-moment because it's easier to go through something tough. You can read the Bible in the morning and drive on the freeway and be frustrated by the traffic, and you've lost everything you just read that morning because of the circumstance. It's a daily walk with God, but it's a moment-by-moment walk with God where you're communing with Him, where you're talking to Him, where you're in a relationship with Him. If you stay connected to the power source, you should have that power in your life. Look at Colossians one eleven. God will strengthen you with His own great power so that you will not give up when troubles come, but you will be patient. When I think about great power, I usually think of me accomplishing something great beyond my ability. wow. If I could accomplish that goal, that's great power. Look at what I've done. And then the Bible talks about God's gonna give you great power. If you rely on Him, He'll give you great power. He'll give you the power to be patient. I'm thinking, is that the great power? Is that the great power? Well, it actually is. Because where do we fail? We fail at being patient, we fail at being kind, we fail at being generous. And if you have the power of God in your life so strong that you would stay patient during those times that everybody else is impatient, if you would have confidence when everybody else is worried, if you were loving when somebody else was unloving toward you, that's the greatest power you could ever have. That's the greatest power. Because there's people that do great feats. They just do amazing things, and they don't have the power to be patient when the circumstances aren't aren't right, and it messes up their relationships, their husband, their wife. It it just hurts everybody, their kids, and they did this great thing, but they don't have the power to have self-control. They don't have the power to be loving when people are being unloving toward them. In other words, they did these great things, and they have no power in their life, and we think, I want to be like that. I want to accomplish this great thing, and we're missing the whole point. If you really want God's power in your life, what does that mean? That means being patient at times where it's hard to be patient. Being kind when it's hard to be kind. Being loving when it's hard to be loving. That's power. That's the power that changes the world. That's the power that changes your family. You go to your family and you're all stressed out. And then what happens? They're all stressed out. When you have the power of God in your life, you go to your family with the same problem. But you're not stressed out. And you know what? Your kids and your spouse aren't stressed out either because you haven't dumped it all on them. That's power. That's the power to change atmosp- at the atmosphere at your job, at your home, at your school. That's power. That's what really changes lives. That's what's really going to matter down the road. Nobody's going to care down the road if you made a billion dollars, but you were a horrible person. You see what I mean? But people are going to love you no matter how much you accomplish there. If you bring kindness into their world and gentleness and peace and joy they're going to love you then, that's power. that's what changes the hearts of mankind. So I want you to think of yourself for yourself there on your notes. This Christmas, I need strength, too. Or do you need strength? Maybe it's in a relationship. And God, I need your power in this relationship. It's hard for me to be gentle with this person. Maybe it's in a circumstance. I'm so worried about it, God. I need your strength to take away my worry. Maybe it's the conversation that you're dreading to make. God, I'm struggling with fear. I don't want to make that. I hate those conflicts. God, I need your power so I'm not struggling with this fear. Maybe it's something you're feeling. Whatever it is, where do you need God's power? Jesus came to give you power. Isn't it a waste of Christmas to go year after year celebrating something? And never get the power, the reason why he came? Can you imagine that? If I celebrate Christmas for 55 straight years, this great day that Jesus came, and never use the power he gave me, never rely on it, never receive that, what a waste of Christmas it is. Isn't that a better Christmas present than anything else you can, can get? God's power to change me so I can be the type of person I need to be and affects the world around me. Number two, let's see the glory in the manger. The glory of God has come into this earth. That's what the manger is. We see God's glory there. See, we see God's glory a lot when you're reading the Old Testament. Like I think of the stories where the Red Sea parts and the Israelites are following this pillar of uh, fire and then it turns into a cloud at night or the opposite way around, I think It goes. And they're following this around the desert. And, you know, these are remarkable things. Like, wow, this is unbelievable. I wish I could see the power of God like that. I wish I could see the glory of God today. I wish I could walk up to a river and see it split. I mean, walk across on dry land. I think, wow, in the old days, they, they had so much that they could look at and say, wow, we've seen the glory of God. Exodus 15, 11 says, Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. Today, we still see God's majesty, his awesomeness. We still see those great things about God. You don't have to see the Red Sea split, but you can go out to the desert at nighttime and look up and see a million stars and think the creator made each one of those. That's awesome. That's majestic. The idea that God could just make the earth is mind-boggling. But when you look at the sun and then you look at all those stars and galaxies out there and you say, God did this through his spoken word? Then you can worship him. You see the glory of God. In Psalms 19.1, it says the heavens declared the glory of God. The skies proclaimed the works of his hands. You can remember in the Old Testament, the sea parts. You know, Moses was doing miracles from God. He turned water into blood. He, all these Amazing things that you see happening in the Old Testament. You go out and you look at the stars at night and you think, God did this. The glory of God is beyond me. And yet, none of that compares to Christmas. Because I don't care how many galaxies and how many millions and millions of stars there are out there to look at. There's nothing as glorious and wonderful and amazing and majestic as God coming to earth as a baby. God, we're just not looking at what he created. Now we're looking at him as a baby. And you've got to scratch your head and think, like, wait a minute. That little baby did all this, and it's mind-boggling. Like, if that doesn't blow you away, nothing will. God coming to earth as a baby, he has to cry to communicate. It's beyond my way of thinking. He's beyond me That's the most glorious thing. So Christmas comes, and it's the time to recognize God coming to earth as a man that should blow us away, and instead we're complaining about the fudge has too many nuts in it. We're complaining about things like that when it's a holiday to focus on God coming to earth as a man, something that's just beyond our wildest dreams. In Hebrews 1.3 it says, God's Son shines out with God's glory, and all that God's Son is and does marks Him as God. God came, born as a baby. How do you fit God into a baby? Well, it took a lot of humility. It took a lot of humility for God to be willing to do that. So the Creator becomes a creature. He was eternal, and He puts Himself bound by time. Heaven can't even contain Him, and now He's in a woman's womb you know he's clothed in majesty and now he's in cloths in a manger that's a feeding trough uh, for animals he's sovereign god but now he's depending on a mommy and daddy for food and clothing you can understand why it was such a stumbling block to the jewish people even though it's the old testament that prophesied his coming but it's a stumbling block he's just a regular kid that can't be God. Of course it was difficult for them to understand and believe it. Even though it's written in their scriptures that he was coming. That Isaiah passages from the Jewish Bible saying he's mighty God, this child that's born is eternal father. And even though it says it word for word in their scripture, you still see a baby and it's hard to believe. I know it said this is going to happen, but I can't see it. A baby? A baby that's God? It's hard for them to understand. He spoke the galaxies into existence. He spoke the worlds and the sun and the stars into existence. And now the only way he can communicate is through a baby crying. That's the only way he can communicate the same God that spoke everything into existence. The God of the universe becoming a baby. There's no greater glory in the world of anything than on Christmas Day, the day that Jesus came. The day that God came as a man. That's why, if I go Christmas after Christmas after Christmas for 55 years and I don't recognize that this is the most glorious event that's ever happened, you know, I've missed the whole purpose. I've missed the whole purpose of Christmas. No matter how many, much fun I have with decorations and presents, if I don't understand what it's really about, I've missed it. I've wasted 55 Christmases, if I don't really understand that this is about God coming to earth as a man, nothing can be more glorious than that. Why? Why did he do this? He wants us to understand him. He he wants us to love him. He wants to love us. He wants to show us how real he is to us. I can't understand God. I can't. I can't understand the Holy Spirit. It's a spiritual thing. I, I can't really understand that. God in heaven somewhere. I can't really understand that. But Jesus, I can understand. He's a person that's walking down the street. He's a real historical figure. I can understand, you know, George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, people that have lived in the past, people I can understand. I can understand Jesus. I can't understand the Holy Spirit. I can experience the Holy Spirit in certain ways, but to fully understand him, Jesus came. God came as a man so that you and I would fully understand him, so that we would fully get it, And so that you and I could fully have a relationship with him. A real relationship with him that changes our hearts and changes our lives. And we understand, wow, as a person, God knows what it means to be weary now. God knows what it means to suffer. God knows what it means to hurt. God also knows what it means to have successes and victories. When I'm praying to God, I'm not praying to some God that doesn't understand. He totally understands everything. Why? Because he's been there. He's a human being someone that walked on this earth. It's sometimes hard for us to understand the idea of the Trinity, that God, there's one God, but he reveals himself as God up in heaven, the Holy Spirit, and as a son. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But Jesus is God, and it's glorious, and it's amazing. See, we're a culture that we're driven more by celebrity type of status. Like if there's a celebrity, we get excited about that person, and maybe it's our sports, it's a sports person, and we're into that sport, and we love that athlete, and we actually follow their personal life because we're looking for a wow, or it's a movie star, you know, or a famous singer, and we just look at them and we follow their life because we want to be wowed. Well, let me tell you this. If you're shooting that low to get wowed, there's something wrong. That is super low. Another human being, if that's what it takes to wow you, then your standard is way too low. What's wrong? Because what wows me is God came to earth as a man on Christmas Day, as a baby. That's wow. That's a wow. God on earth, that's a wow. A celebrity, they're just a human being just like you and I. They wake up in the morning. They take a shower. They put their clothes on. They go to work. They're just a human being. But God coming to earth as a man is, that's a wow. I think we shoot our our goals are way too low. Our standards are way too low. God wants to do something great in your life. He wants to do big things in your life. Don't have a low standard. Believe in a big God for big things. You know, how big is your God? How big is your God? God came to earth as a baby. Jesus Christ, that's, that's a wow. So, this Christmas in your notes, I need a bigger perspective. Maybe it's not a problem. What's, what problem do you need a bigger perspective on? Maybe uh, it's a reality that you're going through. What thing about you or someone else do you need a bigger perspective on? Well, you're, you're not shooting low. Maybe it's a goal that you need to accomplish, and you're shooting too low, and you say, man, I need a bigger perspective than this. Maybe it's your thought on your... My marriage, we're having so much problems, we're never going to make it. Well, that's shooting too low. If you're saying you're never going to make it, maybe you need a bigger perspective on that. My son or my daughter, they're going through this and that. Maybe you're shooting too low on that relationship. Pick something higher. You need a bigger perspective. Start thinking. I've been thinking about what I can do at work, but what could God do through me? What could God do, do through me? Shoot for something. How big is your God? Shoot for something big. So in your notes, if there's an area of your life that you need a bigger perspective, write that down. Why? Because you believe in a mighty God. A mighty God. The third thing is, see the hope in the manger. You have the eternal father. That's the other verse. You know, it was wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace, eternal father. You see the baby, and You think that's the eternal Father? For unto this day a child is born, and one of his names is Eternal Father. What? You don't look at a baby and think of the words Eternal Father, and why? Because he wants to give you an eternal hope. When it comes to hope, sometimes we have a different idea of what that means. What hope means to us is, I hope I win the lottery. I hope I get that raise at work. I hope the stock market doesn't crash. I hope this politician gets elected. I hope that politician gets elected. That's what we think hope is. That's not the hope of the Bible. There's all kinds of hopes out there. But that's not the hope that God's talking about. If you put your hope into something that goes up and down, then I bet your emotions are going to go up and down with it. If you put your hope in something that's not going to last, then,
1: you know, your hope's not
0: going to last. If you put your hope in something eternal, you have stability in your life and it's going to be there forever. You put your hope in Christ. You put your hope in inside that manger. Inside that manger is a little baby and He's the eternal Father. My hope is in Him. I put my hope where it counts. That's what Christmas is about. It's to give us hope. Because we're putting our hope not in what politician's in charge or isn't in charge. We're not putting our hope in things like that. We're putting our hope in that baby, that baby that's come, the eternal father. We're putting our hope there because that's, only, that's the only way that you can have a stable life. If you're in anything else, you're going to just be a, a mostly wrecked half the time because most of the time or half the time, things aren't going to go the way you want. And then your hope is crushed. Look at 2 Corinthians. The yes to all of God's promises is in Christ. That's saying the yes to all of God's promises Is in that little baby on Christmas. That baby. The yes to all of God's promises. What does that mean? There's 7,000 promises in the Bible. The yes to all of God's promises. Not to some, but to all of God's promises is in that little baby. That that baby in the manger. 7,000 promises. So, when God promises you salvation, my hope's in Christ, which means the answer is yes. Jesus came to give us salvation. I'm going through a problem, and God, I need strength. And I read those Bible verses that talk about how God will give you strength. The answer is yes. The hope is in that baby. I have strength because of Christ, because of that little baby in the manger, eternal Father. You know, whatever you're going through, whatever decision, I'm at work, and it's a business decision, and God, I need wisdom, the answer is yes. The answer is yes. The yes to all of God's promises is in Christ. The answer is yes. In Christ, I'm going to seek wisdom from God. I'm going to trust in Christ. And I'm going to trust Him for the wisdom. Because the answer is yes. Because the yes to all of God's promises is in Christ. So every promise that the Bible says to you, the answer is yes because of Christ. It's because of Him. Eternal Father is a baby born so that you can have hope. You may look at your life and think, I see a lot of no's. I don't know what you're talking about, Jimmy. You know, you say, the answer is yes. Then why do I keep getting a no answer? Why do I, it doesn't seem to be a, a yes answer. But let me tell you what. If God is saying no to you about something, it's not that he's not answering his promises. Sometimes it's not yet. Let's say you're praying for a relationship. I believe that God's going to do the best thing for you. And sometimes the answer's not no. The answer is just not yet. You're not ready or they're not ready You don't know, but I know this. The answer is yes. God's going to come through on his promises. In Romans 5, 3, and 4, it says, we also have joy with our troubles because we know that these troubles produce patience. And patience produces character, and character produces hope. So a problem comes into your life, and instead of running away, you stick through it, you ask God for strength, and through that process, he gives you patience. And he develops and strengthens Your character. And as a result of that, you now have greater hope. You have greater hope. Because now, when you go through situations, you've been strengthened. Things don't shake you like they used to. Why? Because you have hope. I have hope now for the future because I've seen how God's come through with me in the past. So I know I can be steadfast. Romans 15.4 says, The scriptures give us patience and encouragement so that we can have hope. And now I know... That as I read the Bible, the Scriptures, make that a daily part of my life. I'm reading it more and more and more. And now things that I would be impatient about, I have patience. Because I've seen what God does through Scripture. Things that would discourage me, I'm still encouraged. Because when you read the Scriptures, you see what the circumstance looks like in the situation. As you're reading through the Bible, you see the circumstances. And then you see that God's working things behind the scene. And then you realize if he did it for that person, and if he did that for that person, and if he did that for that person, he did it for that person, he did it for that person, he's doing that for me. And you're encouraged. Because you look by what you see, you would feel discouraged. But the scriptures give us patience and encouragement. Because you have God's word in your life, you have hope. So, everybody else is looking and saying, Man, your situation's hopeless. And you say, I have hope. How can you have hope? Well, I read the Bible. And it gives me patience and it gives me encouragement. And it will do the same for you. Because they see the circumstances and you see the God behind the circumstance and you have hope. How about this Christmas? Where do you need to have hope? Where do you need to trust Him in? What situation do you need to trust Him in? Maybe there's a person that you need to trust Him with? What feeling are you going through that you need to trust God about? This Christmas, I need to trust and fill out the blank of what you need to trust. For some of you, you need to trust that God's working through the problem that you're in, that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. So the problem's not good, but you're trusting that God's going to work it out for the good. For some people in here, that's all you can trust. The worst thing in life can be worked out for the good, and you're trusting God in that. There are some of you that feel hopeless. You look at the circumstance, and you, now you're going to start looking at God. I'm making a decision to look at God. He's bigger than the circumstance. Never let a temporary circumstance steal your hope. It's just a temporary circumstance. Don't let it steal your hope. If you keep your eyes on God, you have hope because you believe you can work it out. To follow Christ doesn't mean... When someone says, I believe in Jesus, that doesn't mean that you believe he just li- that he lived 2,000 years ago. That's just a fact. It's about the relationship with him. It's about trusting him. It's about putting your hope in him. If I celebrate Christmas 55 straight years and never put my hope in that little baby in the manger, I wasted 55 Christmases. It doesn't matter how many gifts I've given out and how many gifts I've received. If I have 55 Christmases, and I never find my hope in that baby, it's all a waste. It was all for nothing. Christmas is the time for me to have hope. So during the Christmas time of season, no matter what I'm going through, I still have hope. It's a reminder like, wow, it's Christmas time. I've lost focus because of this problem. I've been feeling like things are hopeless. But wait a minute. God came to earth as a baby to give me hope. And it gets you back on the right track. If Christmas doesn't do that for you, you've missed the purpose. Number four, see the love in the manger. His love for me. Love means so many different things. You know, romantic love is good. It's good. But God's love is the love which all good romantic love is based on. It's not real healthy romantic love if you don't have God's love in you. Why? Because God's love is higher. It's sacrificial. When I have a sacrificial willing to die for you love... And that's a part of the romance. That's real love. But if that's not part of the romance, you don't know what love is. You've not experienced love. Because God's love is that sacrificial, I'm willing to die for you, love. And that's the only real love that's out there. God loves you like that. That's the type of love you want to have for your spouse, for your kids. Jesus even did it for his enemies, right? Wow, that's what it means to be loving. That can be... a confusing to us because it's the opposite of what the world would expect. Look at John 3:16. God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him may not be lost but have eternal life. God loves you so much that he came to earth to die for you. So when you see that baby in the manger, it's about love. It's about this baby has come here to die for my sins. This little baby on Christmas Day, he came to die for my sins so that I could be forgiven. Why? Because he loves me, because God loves me. It's mind-boggling because we don't deserve it. We don't deserve that type of love. But I understand the Father's love for children because I would be willing to die for my kids. God's willing to die for you because he loves you. He loves you that much. He cares about you in every way that you can imagine. The amazing thing is God doesn't force himself on you. He dies for you. You're forgiven. I've taken away your sins. Come and join me and spend eternity with me, and you can still say no. You can still say no. He says, don't worry. You don't have to say no. I've already died for your sins. You're forgiven. Come and join me. You can still say no. You can still say no. God still respects you enough to allow you to choose to be with Him. You don't have to accept the free gift. It's free. It doesn't mean it costs Him nothing, but it's free, but you still have to choose to have it. Look at Romans 8 39. Nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. You put your faith in Christ Jesus our Lord, nothing can separate you from God's love. That's what's in the manger. That's what's in the manger. If I I celebrate Christmas 55 years, 55 times, and never recognize it's all about God's love for me, then I've missed the whole point. I never received my Christmas gift. What a waste to celebrate it year after year after year and never recognize that it's about Jesus' love for me. It's about God's love for me. It's about God dying on the cross for you and I so that we could spend eternity with him. There's that feeling sometimes out there like if I really, you know, I believe in Jesus, but if I really, really said, God, no matter what, I'm giving you 100%, he's going to turn me into some sort of weird Jesus freak, and I don't want that. Well, do you think that God would love you so much that he would come to earth as a baby and willing to die on the cross for you to turn you into some weirdo? Do you really think that that's what it's about? That's the most foolish thinking I could ever imagine. God would not come to earth, die for your sins, so that you become some sort of weirdo on the street holding a Bible up preaching at people or whatever you do. No. You know what God's going to do? When you say, God, I'll do whatever it is. I'll live for you and I'll die for you. I'd rather die for what's right than live for what's wrong. And you submit yourself to God, I'm giving you 100%. He's not going to ruin your life. He's going to give you the best life that you could ever imagine. He's going to start using your gifts and talents in a powerful way. He's not out to ruin you. He's out to give you the very best. So you, you go for it. You never have that idea like if I really go 100% for God, he's going to ruin things. No, he's not. That's not he's, he's not going to ruin things. It's going to be the complete opposite of what you think. So this Christmas, I need love. You know, where do you need love? Maybe you don't feel God's love. You need to focus on your relationship with Him. Maybe it's with a person, somebody in your family. Maybe it's even an enemy or somebody at work. How do, how do you love an enemy? There's somebody that's an enemy to you. How do you love them? You start by praying for them. You start by praying for them. Because when you're praying for someone in a regular, on a regular basis, your heart starts to get tender toward them. So make it a habit. Like, this person's my enemy. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to pray that God changes their heart. I'm praying that God will change my heart. Watch what God starts doing. One of the greatest ways that you can express love is inviting somebody to church. Inviting somebody to church. Let's invite people for Christmas. Let them say no. Let them say no if they don't. Don't say no for them. If I don't invite them, I've decided no for them. Let them make that decision. Who am I to say no for them? They might want to come. I'm asking us to say, wow, we know the type of message they're going to hear. And we know it's going to relate to their life. Christmas season's a fun time for them. They're open to hear a story about Jesus like never before. So invite them on Christmas Eve. Say, hey, come Christmas Eve. They might say no. They might come. Just invite them. Hey, if, hey, we're having something at a church if you'd like to go. You don't have to be pushy. And if somebody says, oh, I don't care about church, and they treat you like you're a fool because you go to church, who cares? Who cares? That's Okay. Let them treat you like you're a fool because you go to church. But just invite them. See what happens. God will rock their world. God will get a hold of their life and turn it around like you've never believed. Marriages will get saved because of a simple invitation. Because I've seen it all the time. I've seen marriages come into this church that were a wreck that got together just because of turning to God. People come into this church and through the process of being here, they quit using drugs. They have an alcohol problem, and they stop. It's incredible. These things happen constantly. So just give them an invite, and let, let them do whatever they do with it. Let them throw it away. Let them laugh at you. But you'll be surprised. A lot of people will say, oh, thank you. Most of them will say, oh, thank you. And most of them won't come. Most of them are not going to come. I'm not saying that out of lack of faith. I'm just saying realistically, most of them aren't coming. But God knows the ones that are ready, And we don't know. And you just give them a card and let God, if they're ready, they'll come. They'll come. But that's one of the greatest ways to show love. Because on Christmas, they're going to have a chance to meet that little baby in the manger. They're going to meet eternal father, mighty God. I can't think of anything amazing, more amazing than that. And it might be their first Christmas. Well, I want to be a part of that. It might be their very first Christmas. With that, let's pray. Dear God, we're so, so thankful that we can have a relationship with you, that we can trust you with everything, that we look at that manger and we see things in a different light. We see your power, that you're mighty God, that baby's mighty God. We see your glory, this God inside of this baby. We see the hope that we can trust in you and the love that you have for us, willing to die for us. God, we pray that this Christmas season... That we really see what it's really all about. So it can be the most wonderful, fantastic Christmas that we could ever imagine. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.